Welcome to the Final Draft Great Conversations podcast. Today's Great Conversation is with Fiona Wood. The Final Draft Great Conversations podcast is all about books, writing, and literary culture. My name's Andrew Popel. Every week I broadcast Final Draft from the studios of 2SER in Sydney. Now, Final Draft is dedicated to exploring Australian writing, from debut authors to household names. Every week we look into the issues that drive our storytelling and help you discover more from the books you love. These are the stories that make us who we are. To SER broadcasts from the lands of the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation, and I'm recording on the lands of the Darug and Gunungurra people. I want to acknowledge the traditional owners of those lands and pay my respects to their ongoing connection to their lands, acknowledging that these are unceded lands and the treaty has never been made with Australia's First Nations. Fiona Wood is a celebrated author of children's literature, and I'm really excited she's joining us today with her new novel for middle grade readers. It's called How to Spell Catastrophe. Nell is going through a lot right now. She's in year six, and next year everything was going to change anyway, but right now her mum, her mum's got a new boyfriend. They're planning on moving in together. Her best friendship is feeling a little cold, and her new friend is sometimes just a bit mean. Nell's used to planning for catastrophes, but right now her life is feeling even more out of control, and that's before she starts to look at what's going on with climate change. Nell is facing down one of the first big changes most young people face, and she's doing it. She's doing it in a world with a seemingly very uncertain future. Join me as we discover Fiona Wood's How to Spell Catastrophe. Fiona is an author and a screenwriter. She's the winner of, at last count, three Children's Book Council Awards for her novels. And today she joins me with a new novel. It is called How to Spell Catastrophe. It is terrific to welcome her. Fiona, thank you for joining me. Hi, Andrew. Lovely to be with you from Wurundjeri, Woiwurrung land. And, um, yep, very happy to be talking about How to Spell Catastrophe for the very first time. It is really terrific and really exciting. There is so much in how to spell catastrophe that that resonates, but I wanna I wanna acknowledge poor Nell and what she is going through because she is going through a lot right now. <laughs> She's in year six, and look, next year everything was going to be changing anyway. But right right now, her mum her mum's got a new boyfriend. They're planning on moving in together. Her best friendship is feeling a little ah, uh, and her new friend is sometimes a bit mean. Now, Nell is used to planning for catastrophes, but her life is feeling out of control. And that's before she starts to look at what's going on with climate change. Fiona, Nell is facing down one of the first big changes that most young people face, that transition from primary to high school. I remember for me, I was going to a new school solo. It was both exciting and terrifyingly lonely. What about you, though? Can you take me back to those days? And and I guess the young mind that was shaped into the incredible author. (laughs) I was, um, I was a very anxious child uh, throughout primary school years. Uh, I was a big reader. I can also remember very clearly deciding that I was a very mature person in grade six. And strangely, I thought because I felt very mature, very grown up, I thought I'd start menstruating early and I didn't. I didn't menstruate for years. And that's, uh, you know, that, that whole puberty thing is also a big grade six um, agenda item. You know, kids mm. change in such, at such different rates around that age. So it's just one other thing on the, um, uh, or in Nell's case, in the sort of, you know, worry ledger. Um, yeah. Uh, 
my main yes, yeah, so my main worry, my my main memory of being in grade six is just that I was feeling more grown up than looking back. I actually was, you know, had any had any right to feel. <laughs> I was just a little baby. <laughs> it's such a it's such a thing to want to feel in control, to feel you've got it together, and you look to those milestones to to reassure you. And of course, as adults, we understand. Like I I don't trust people that think they've got it all together. That's that's a scary kind of narcissism. And then you, you, you try to avoid milestones, like certain, certain milestones of getting older come closer and you're just like, no, I, I'll have a midlife crisis. In, in, in fact, thank you very much. <laughs> yes, you get to the point where you think, oh, well, you know, yes, we've had certain birthdays have, have passed and are long behind, but, you know, it's better than the alternative being dead. So, uh, yeah, no, I think the, that, I, that idea of feeling certain about everything is something that uh, for me falls away rather than consolidate the older you get um, if you're if you sort of if you're a thoughtful person I, I suspect mm. I want to I want to keep interrogating the challenge of bridging these generational divides you know we live in a world well I think you and I remember similar things blackboards have been replaced with tablets and smart boards and the online world has such a huge influence in kids lives in a way that it just wasn't a thing for me until at least sort of late teens do you draw on your school years for your writing and and what about the changing world presents challenges in terms of evoking these uh that well kids now mm, yeah look i think that it's a it's a very very different um time from when i was in primary school no doubt about it uh, and even from when my kids were in primary school you know they're adults now um However, there were still worries. You know, I, I, remember, I remember in grade six worrying a lot about pollution, for example. Um, but there, what we didn't have was that sort of nonstop barrage of bad news that's available to this generation of, of young people. And I think that is a big change. And, in fact, um, going into classrooms, I've done a couple of writers in a, a residence, residencies in um, upper primary school, and I'm amazed at the things that kids are exposed to, you know, um, the the um, material, the true crime material that they that they read, um, the, the amount of news that they they have coming across their their desks, uh, yeah, it just feels like it's it's a lot. It's a lot for that age group to handle, uh, and it wasn't. We didn't have that. We didn't have anything comparable in my generation, or even in my kids' time at school. Things have just you know, exploded in terms of information that um, kids get bombed with. Mm. You really had me thinking about that. Like, what what was information like for me? I mean, I know, I know, for instance, from my own work, working in schools and working with um, school age kids, that BTN, BTN was a big news yeah, source that was at school great. for me. And it's wow. still, I mean, apart from the fact that it is just amazing now, it's a full online interactive platform. But, you know, some things have remained constant. But I think... Uh, what you're acknowledging here is also hinted at in the title, How to Spell Catastrophe. You've got the twin interests in Nell's life, spelling bee and planning for any and all catastrophes that may befall her. Mm. Nell worries. She worries a lot. She sees a counsellor. She has strategies to keep her anxiety in check. But I wanted, I wanted to ask about, well, can you tell me about portraying mental health and particularly mental health issues for these younger characters? 
Mm, yeah, so I think um, for me, um, in approaching writing this book, it was really important to be, to be able to talk about that whole area of anxiety. Um, in Nell's case, it comes from, um, I think, starts at a pretty typical age when she, this is just a tiny bit of backstory in the book, but she, at the age of seven, realises that um, because her father had died when she was a baby, suddenly she gets this sort of, you know, bing moment and realises Actually, that means anyone could die at any time. Uh, And she starts obsessing a little bit about death and worrying about death. And what I wanted to do is to, is a couple of things. One was to acknowledge the, the reality of the fact that kids do worry, young people worry, and it's not that hard for it to tip over into into the area of mental health and into sort of it being intrusive intrusive thoughts that affect the you know day to day just well just the day to day life of of young people and then wanted to also uh, so both acknowledge it and then say so much can be done mm. you know there's a lot that can be done and one of the very basic things is that um, to understand that worries and anxiety uh, hate the light of day so there's nothing a worry or anxiety like better than just being kept in one little mind and sort of, you know, thriving in the dark. As soon as someone's able to talk about something, you know, whether it's with friends, parents, teachers, you know, trusted older people or with a professional therapist, uh, that is immediately going to be a big help. Um, So, yes, they're they're the two main things I wanted to do. And, in fact, in Nell's case, she's – I constructed her as a character who, yes, suffers from anxiety – but is a clever girl and has a very, really good sort of handle on where she's at. So she's really aware when she has a, rec- a recurring dream that, you know, life stresses are just getting a little bit too much for her. Um, she, she does have a therapist um, whom she saw regularly at, or has seen regularly at certain times and she knows that door's always open if she needs to check in um, about anything in particular. Um, yeah, look, I think, and that's, you know, you were talking before about the, the difference in the experience of being that age, and that's another huge difference, the amount of help um, that we can offer a young person who's got, you know, some sort of anxiety, stress or any sort of mental illness compared to when I was a kid. And really my, you know, my experience of worry and anxiety really was pretty solo. You know, it did not get good a good airing if I told anyone that I was worried. You know, there were a lot of you know, people would, people, you know, names like Scaredy Cat or Chicken or, you know, because I, I was and still am actually, like afraid of the dark and things like that and, and that's, I think, um, kids who are very imaginative um, are likely to have a harder time with uh, what they can imagine, whether it's, you know, a scary monster or whether it's the, um, the sort of the logical extension of, of what um, climate change might mean for them, for them in their lives, uh, which is what uh, Nell ends up grappling with in this book. And, of course, everything you're saying here is... is revelatory of that idea that you know mental health wasn't invented by our greater understanding of it and the fact that you know for generations these things were not appreciated is something that we should be working against but there are still prevailing wisdoms uh that i think we're going to get to on a lot of our topics that perhaps children should be sheltered or that these things should be hidden or not Mm -hmm. discussed yeah, I strongly disagree with that. 
I think the, I think there's always whatever the topic. There's always an age-appropriate way to to air it. You know, to discuss it with a kid if the kid shows interest in it. I don't I shouldn't perhaps be using the word kid all the time, but if the young person shows interest in um, in anything, whether it's you know anything to do with death or their, their own state of mind or anything to do with sex and sexuality or gender, all of those things are, are improved by being discussed and, um, you know, young people can be supported in so many ways, whatever the problem is. But, yeah, I think you're right. I think we have come from a background of probably, you know, that sort of Anglo stiff upper lip, just get on with it, uh, don't make a fuss about it, and that's really just a load of rubbish. So (laughs) I think we've improved a lot on that score, Uh, not for every individual young person, but across the board I think we're getting better. Definitely. And of course, one of the ways that we can improve is ourselves as a community, as an environment. And Nell's school life, her school community, it's an important part of her identity. It's also a major setting in the in the book. Into this space, you introduce a terrific ensemble cast of characters. I'm not sure I'm going to be able to do all of them justice, but I wanted to focus in on Plum. Plum mm. is this character. She's new to the school. She's the subject of much interest from all of the students. And in trying to befriend Plum, Nell faces this difficulty, particularly how to manage a range of friendships, what this might look like, how it changes old ways of, of being. I was actually, I was really struck by, there's, there is something kind of beautifully of the age about these conversations, but also they look very similar to adult interactions as we move through <laughs> our life. And I thought maybe we should all be taught the dynamics of friendship at school. Yeah, isn't that interesting? I think that's right. And and we do sort of like it's it's very much sort of a learning by doing experience, isn't it, friendship at school? And um, I've talked about um, friendship in, in my books for older readers too and, you know, often reflect on the fact that, um, you know, there's no longer, dis- there's no greater distance sometimes than just the distance of I'm going to walk from this group of people across the playground to this group of people mm-hmm. and, and sit down and try to talk to some people who might be more my people rather than my current group of friends. Mm-hmm. I'm not so sure they're my people anymore. And, and like, likewise with Nell in grade six, uh, she's already feeling a little bit restless, longing, to, longing for the next step, um, thrown a curveball by her mother's news that um, the, the family's, uh, her family's about to be blended. But the, um, when Plum joins the school in third term, it's like a sort of a vision of, oh, well, this is what the future might look like fantastic um and she sort of Nell dives into trying to be friends with this new girl who in fact is a girl um who's had a slightly um a slightly unsettled primary school experience herself she's been to four different schools and uh one of her sort of modes of surviving in a new group is that to, to have this appearance of not caring very much and perhaps being a bit tough a bit mean Uh, So Nell has to cope with that along with the fact that Plum is slightly, she's got a great mum, but she's slightly less supervised. And so Nell's drawn into a little bit of rule bending, which for her, uh, sort of an A-type, well-behaved girl, leadership group in grade six, OC student, is kind of scary. But um, one of the things that I wanted to look at 
is that is that whole idea of what you know what is the experience of doing something that's slightly outside your comfort zone so she does that with her exploration of friendship and then she also does it with her sort of dive into some climate action so it's a, it's a year for Nell or you know this is a compressed part of the year but it's a period of time for Nell where she's taking some risks and that's um, paralleled in the reading that she's doing with her grandmother who lives in Glasgow. And they have this lovely relationship where through Nell's early childhood, her grandmother read to her over Skype. And now that Nell's older, they read to each other and they're reading to each other Northern Lights by Philip Pullman, um, which has a protagonist, Lyra, who's a pretty unsupervised and adventurous and wild character, but similar in similar age group to Nell and Nell looks at that character and thinks why can't I be a bit more like that you know I'm, I'm in this little little cocoon it's nearly strangling me and uh, surely it's time to spread my wings a bit so she's very much doing that uh, having those experiences during this period of grade six. I mean everything you're saying it, it reminds me of and I think it's a prevailing kind of adage of growing up and and feeling like you you want to belong and it's uh, this idea of you know you find your tribe i remember like when i was younger before geek culture was celebrated in the way that it is now for for people who were you know self self professed or um or picked on nerds you you wanted to find your tribe but the flip of that of course is if any group ossifies it becomes very internalized and then we get some really horrible against each other type dynamics and the way now navigates this imperfectly because of course a perfect representation wouldn't be that helpful we we don't relate to perfect protagonists as much as those who might make the same mistakes as us yeah i agree so much and so in nell's case then with her old friends with whom she's been friends since prep and with whom she's enjoyed activities like spelling bee uh, they're a little bit more wary of Plum, um, just sort of standing back a little bit and seeing what sort of person she might be and finding her to be on observation a, a little bit mean. Um, so there's a friction that that uh, occurs when Nell, Nell befriends Plum, but the old friends are not so keen on Plum. And those, yeah, those sorts of friendship blends are very, very hard to manage. And Nell doesn't, she, as you're saying, yeah, she doesn't, she doesn't manage it very well. She stuffs things up. She alienates her old friends. Uh, she's too much of she's too much like her old friends to really be an instant sort of snap hit with Plum. So she's in this sort of funny in between land, um, not really uh, t- temporarily not quite appreciating her old friends either, but not um, not sort of meshing with them as well, and not quite hitting it off with Plum, but kind of developing that friendship. And I sort of I represent that literally in one scene with her walking into the classroom between Plum and a couple of other people and between her old friends and Nell's just all by herself, not quite straddling the two groups. Mm. Yeah, and I think that's such a common experience and, as you say, not just in primary school. I want to come back to the idea that we should be taught this because this this is in no way particularly related to the narrative of how to spell catastrophe, but it strikes me this is something that is very much a feature of our adult world where when confronted with behaviour from a friend group, it can be so hard to go against it. And this is something that men particularly are going to have to confront with attitudes um, that are patriarchal, sexist and the like. You can't just go along with what everyone says. And Nell, I mean, look, I'm, 
on the one hand, I felt for her. On the other hand, I'm like so great, glad for that she's learning this lesson young because we get we we get so stuck in our ways as adults. Oh, so true. And I think that 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 uh, the nature of that conversation that you're you're talking about there, um, Andrew, is so hard, isn't it? It's like to be the one person who says listen, don't be a shithead, that was a really mm. sexist thing to say or that was a really racist thing to say or whatever it is, it's, it, it's, a, it's a crucial. You have to say it if it's safe to do so. <laughs> but it's also an act of courage because, you know, you're potentially sort of splitting apart um, some sort of um, acceptance, um, some sort of social cohesion, and you're forcing everyone into uh, discomfort, which is where we all have to, we all have to be visiting this area of discomfort in so many of our assumptions about who we are, where we fit, what society is, et cetera, et cetera, particularly if we're white and middle class and, mm-hmm. and for you, Guy. Um, but, yeah, they're not, they're not easy conversations to have. And it's not even, like, within friendship groups, so hard. Um, also, if you just happen to overhear something, if you're in public, um, you know, when do you intervene? How is, you know, is it ever safe to say, uh, don't sit there and be spoken to like that, you don't have to listen to that or whatever. You know, they're, yeah, it's, it's um, crucial skills but um, tricky and very much learned on the way through school. And I think that's one thing that schools are doing better at the moment too, which is to encourage people to have those sorts of conversations. And, in fact, in different book, but in Take Three Girls, which is a YA, YA title that I co-wrote with Simone Howell and Kath Crowley, we looked at that whole area of online misogyny and what schools are doing to address it and what 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 friendship can do to, to sort of, you know, what friends can do to band together and support each other if they're um, subject to on, online bullying. But that's a very sort of, sorry, digressive answer to, yeah, um, the fact that we do need, we need those skills. We need those sort of, um, the, the skills with which we, we basically are communicating well about who we want to be with and, and, on, what, and on what basis will our relationship sit Mm. Yeah. I, I want to continue with this idea, this theme of the the strength of a strong group that you belong to, but also the challenges that can place. Because, of course, with all the difficulties that she's having at school, Nell is also having a lot of stress at home. She lost, she lost her dad before she was old enough to remember him. And that, that of course, means that she is very... Uh, she holds very close her mum and the life that they have had together. But her mum's met this lovely new guy. Like Ted sounds fantastic. Um, and they want <laughs> once, to, once you get to know him. <laughs> well, do you know what? Even even just off the bat, um, once you get to know him, definitely. But um, Nell's mum and uh, her new guy want to. They want to blend their families, and Nell is adamant that her family is not changing. Can you yeah. start off just by talking about this idea of blended families and why you wanted to write about them? Yeah, look, I think it's, um, I mean, partly because it's just so, co- it's such a common experience. You know, the, the idea of a nuclear family being the most typical family is, is long gone. And I think people um, manage it with, you know, varying degrees of success and happiness. And, um, but, but it's, you know, it's just something that is, um, it's, it's on the horizon for a lot of uh, young readers and it's, it's right in, you know, right inside the experience of lots of young readers. So I was interested in looking at it. Um, 
it's also from a story point of view. I love the idea. I, I just love the idea of someone, someone that age trying to disrupt adult plans and coming to realize uh, it's, it's an example of what we we're talking about earlier. Like, you know, what, how did, how did I feel when I was in grade six? You think you're this powerful person mm. and you, you know, naturally the world will center around you, but in fact, you come up against these walls um, often constructed by adults and their decisions that are impenetrable. You can't knock that wall down. And so Nell comes up with a number of strategies uh, to try to disrupt the plan and none of them, none of them work. And in mm. fact, one of the things that I have her doing is, is with um, two of her old pals spying on Ted and trying to sort of find, you know, catch him out doing something terrible. And I was really interested to, to do that and to show how, um, pretty much impossible it is for young kids to spy on an adult and what a, what a sort of an uncomfortable and fruitless exercise it was for them. You know, they, they, stay, they, they go to, um, Ted has a cafe and they, they visit a place near the, tap, the cafe and just look at the door basically <laughs> and they're seen by Ted, they're seen by everyone walking in the street, they don't um, discover anything and that actually takes me back again to my experience of being a grade six person and reading so many um, <clears throat> stories such as the Enid Blyton stories where kids have this massive agency and they find clues and they solve mysteries. And I like the idea of contemporary realism that reflects on the fact that in fact, you know, you probably can't do that as a kid. I was <laughs> really probably not going to be that successful if you try it. I was absolutely just reflecting there on the way you invert that trope of childhood empowerment, which let's not go down this this track necessarily right, because it's a whole big conversation but there's a real kind of colonial vibe to that trope of you know childhood empowerment because they're usually they're usually young middle to upper class white kids who are able to exert power often against people who are in a lower socioeconomic class the thing that you do, and we can absolutely do the colonial conversation if you like, but the thing that you do is you actually put to the front this idea of balancing agency and humility because what Nell really has to learn is that having some agency, having some responsibility comes with a commensurate amount of taking that responsibility and being humble with the choices that you've made when they go wrong. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um yeah, so it, it's a you know one of one of the most quenching moments for her in the book is is and it is a moment where um, she you know ha, really has to reassess her assumptions is when she finds out that Ted's Cafe is run as a not for profit and um, <clears throat> you know she says my mother is dating Jesus and I hate him <laughs> but she's you know she has to it, it's you know they're hard they're hard sort of hard things to confront for her but she she does in the end. Uh, you know, confront those. Uh, it conf- what she's doing is confronting her own prejudice about uh, Ted and his perfectly nice daughter Amelia, whom she takes a set against from the very beginning, um, and yeah, and and has to reassess uh, how she's how she's perceiving and receiving them as as humans. And that again is something that you know, in grade six, you're well and truly able to do that you're well and truly able to um have a prejudiced view of someone and then unpack that as you get to know them and think mm, I'm, i was wrong and yeah you're, you're right it is it is a moment in a sort of self-reflection and humility that um someone goes through and all those things you know hard though they are they're all good for us you know you, you come out of that with new understanding of of, mm. of people was it 
fun? I mean, I, um, you create this really interesting tension. I, you, I, I'm sure you are aware that the reader will naturally gravitate towards Nell's point of view as your POV character, but also you make her quite awful. Like Ted and Amelia are, are just lovely. <laughs> and even if even if we want to believe that a seven-year-old could be just a snotty little terror, Amelia's very sweet. Is it fun making Nell just a little bit unreasonable and, and giving her a little bit of a comeuppance? <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, totally. I, I don't even feel, you know, I don't sort of see it as a comeuppance as, as so much as her, you know, sorry to use a terrible cliche word, but her growing, uh, her sort of becoming a, a, um, a person who sort of sees more clearly. But, yeah, I, I, I love the idea of that because I think that's, you know, surely that's um, uh, one of the things that, or to me anyway, when I read a character, I am very attractive, attracted to the character's failings. I love seeing their, you know, the human side of a character, the, the mistakes that they make and the, the um, unfounded things that they might think. And, um, yeah, so... Uh, Amelia, Amelia's a really delightful child and talking about blended families, she's really benefited from and, and, and has become a sort of a pretty grown up kid as a result of her parents having separated and um, she's now, a, you know, happy, you know, integrated member of two families. Um, but uh, I think Nell gets to the end of the book and it was great fun. It was great fun to, to, to take her through that whole period of like, I'm not accepting this. I'm definitely going to change it. Actually, it's not quite as bad as it looked. And okay, I really think they're probably we're probably all going to be okay together. Mm. That was it. Was yeah, that was a, f- a fun thing to do. We've focused very local, and I think I think keeping a local focus is going to be very important to what I want to ask you about next. Because the other part of catastrophe in Nell's life, and she has a whole book where she outlines catastrophes and how to prepare and respond to them. But the big catastrophe comes to mean climate change. And she's always felt it was too big. Um, And it's something that, you know, we talked about mental health before. It's something that she's had to speak to her counsellor about and learning that it's okay to look away. But she comes to realise that it's a part of her life and she is a part of it, whether she likes it or not. Now, it was only a month or so ago that the federal court ruled that the climate minister had no duty of care to young Australians. Young people are also variously told not to worry, leave it to the adults and stay in schools, particularly in uh, relation to taking climate action. How do you feel about the way young people are spoken to about climate damage and their future? Yeah, uh, appalled, really appalled Um, and... Look, I think that, you know, the Greta Thunberg speeches um, uh, book, No One Is Too Small to Make a Difference, was a great uh, inspiration for the climate action storyline because, and in fact, you know, just um, going to school strike for climate is just the most brilliant um, experience to see young people taking something seriously and to contrast that to the 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 sophistry and the bullshit that you hear from politicians about, you know, like, oh, we're, you know, how we're, how we're meeting 2030 targets, how we're meeting 2050 targets. And there's just so much um, really so much lying that comes from uh, the people who've been, you know, voted in to manage policy when it comes to controlling carbon emissions. And I am really thrilled to death to think that this whole group of young people who have been 
going to school strike for climate now, you know, through their middle adolescence, a huge number of them will be 18 at this election. And I think we're really going to hear that voice. And I'm hoping um, that it makes a difference, you know, like that their vote will be really um, influential to the result of the election. Um, Yeah, I think that that young people are the ones who've got everything to lose and are the ones who haven't been listened to with respect, um, despite the stellar leadership of people like Greta Thunberg um, and and lots of people now in that movement, you know, that started out with one, she was just a child, I think she was 13 or 14 when she sat outside the parliament in Stockholm and now she's a young woman who's so influential and has such a clear uh, a clear message that uh, is still being, you know, as we as we see this week with the um, uh, intergovernmental panel uh, interclimate change report coming out, still not being um, given the urgent, urgent attention that it needs to be given in um, in immediate policy uh, terms. So yeah, um, the so this book is is sort of full of things that um, uh, you know I hope young people will think think that they can do. Um, if they are interested in in being part, you know, having a voice in in that um, in in the climate action arena. Mm. I mean, yeah. In how to spell catastrophe, you show us. So Nell Nell has always been aware, but she's never felt big enough to do anything. And a part of it is her coming to realize that um, that every action has cumulative effects. But you also show this very. I'm going to call it a very sophisticated process that she and her peers go through to take on a lot of the stereotypes about their age and to to take action. They, I, I mean, I don't want to give too much of the book away, but um, she presents ideas, she canvasses support, she she forms, she she has a petition, um, and it strikes me that a lot of what we see not not as much within the book where she has an incredibly supportive teacher, but a lot of what we see speaks to, if not directly acknowledges, this real fear that a certain group and generation of people have about the power that young people have and the way they're able to leverage it on their local level. And I think that is that is something you're really highlighting in how to how to spell catastrophe, that on that local level, people like Nell are able to do things that impact their local world yeah absolutely and and so I, I i constructed for nell a grandmother who is a member of extinction rebellion because i i wanted to sort of um just sort of supercharge that um her her foray into climate action with a little bit of expert advice so she does um um create a petition um she does put pressure on the school she does as part of their classroom plan there's um they they present a talk about something that's that's important to them called the important to me talk and she she uses all of the levers that she has to to make that change and i mean yeah, I, I wanted I wanted that to feel as powerful as it could possibly feel for grade sixes who are trying to do that, uh, and very deliberately so. And and to, and I think to show that it is like, you know, far from being something that um, another generation should worry about, mm. it, it it felt uh, powerful for the students. It felt triumphant. They felt like they were um, they were taking at least for the day they were taking control of the argument that's that ha- is going to have the most impact on them of any age group. Uh, so, 
yeah, it was really satisfying to to write that. I, and I think it's I think it's enormously powerful um, for people, young people, to be able to read something like that because we again we have this adage of if you ca- you can't see it if you ca- you can't be it if you can't see it and that is going to apply to almost everyone at some point in their life um de- de- depending on where you sit in the structures of privilege and young people generally don't tend to have a lot of privilege against older um, members of their group. I wanted to. I wanted mm. to finish up with this idea of action, though, um, because we've talked about all sorts of different action and its various effects. And of course, climate action is something that is enormously important. But in 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 how to spell catastrophe, you actually show us this. You know, incredible. We've alluded to it. Um, incredible period where Nell and her friends try to formulate and take action against Nell's mum and Ted getting together. And you really, you really show us how um, misplaced focus can show that action just goes, action is wasted. Action goes in directions that we're never going to have results. Um, what did you, what did you want Nell and Plum and her friends, um, I'm just trying to think of Cecily and Gus, what did you want them all to learn about action and where you should be directing their, where they should be directing their efforts? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I think, look, I think that I I hope readers take away from it that it's okay to, it's okay to sort of have these forays into various, um, various activities, including something that's as, that's as, um, going to be inevitably uh, as unproductive as trying to sort of uh, stymie a relationship with your parents having. I also love that that was inspired um, by a book. Like they'd read Harriet the Spy in year four (laughs) and now they were just like, yeah, we're going to make this happen. That's right. We've got the tools to do this. Um, And and then, and and I I also wanted to play that for humour too, because um, Nell tries all sorts of things, um, including like suggesting to her mother that Ted smells strange. Um, you know, so it's like she, she tries every, you know, a whole range of, you know, silly and serious things to put her mother off the idea of, um, uh, of the relationship. But um, so it's not, it's not so much that I want, uh, you know, readers to think, oh, this is, you know, climate action, that's the way to go, is to think that, you know, have a look around the world and see what, you know, what you're, what you're interested in, what you feel passionate about, what is important to you and what you might want to do with it uh, or do about it. And there are ways. There are ways to do stuff. And um, so, even 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 with the, the um, blended family storyline, um, uh, I think Nell ends up feeling like you know she threw herself into trying to disrupt it. It didn't work. And then she's on the other side of that. And you know, life goes on, and she's learning to get to know two people who are going to be a part of her life from that point on very well. So. Um, I think I think it's okay. I think all those I think all those sort of dead ends and wrong turns they're all they're all part of the picture. But um, yeah, I definitely wanted to represent the uh, the power of a bit of collective action for young people. It is gorgeous the way you do it in all aspects. I am speaking with Fiona Wood. We are discussing her new novel, How to Spell Catastrophe. As I always say when we talk YA or genre or anything, just because it looks or middle grade as How to Spell Catastrophe, just because it looks like it's for someone else doesn't mean you can't be reading it. Uh, adults, get out there, buy this, maybe buy it as a present for your middle grade reader and then just really carefully read it before you give it to them. <laughs> Fiona, I hope so many people discover this book. Thank you so much for your time today. Thanks, Andrew. It's been an absolute pleasure. Lovely to talk to you.
That is it for my conversation with Fiona Wood. Thank you to Fiona and thank you to you, dear listener. Thank you for joining me each week and discovering new Australian books. Fiona Wood's new book is called How to Spell Catastrophe. It is out now from Pan Macmillan. Final Draft is recorded on the lands of the Darug and the Gunungurra people. The show is produced and presented by Andrew Popel. Do stay in touch. Give us a shout out. Join us in this conversation, this incredible conversation about Australian books. You'll find Final Draft on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook. Look for the handle at Final Draft 2SER. Subscribe wherever you are listening to this podcast. Just kind of hit, hit subscribe. It means a new great conversation will drop into your feed every week. There are going to be bonuses. There's so much to discover in the world of writing. My name is Andrew Popel. I will be back very soon with another great conversation. Like I I usually say a week, but I know it's going to be sooner than a week. There will be a new final draft conversation. Until then, as always, happy reading. Bye for now.